Inspired by IMDb and Sight and Sound, Return of the Disc presents the Top 250 Movies List, a miniseries. And we're back for the uh, Top 250. <laughs> we're not even high. <laughs> I'm just I'm just glad you're here, man. That's all. Yeah, I mean. me too. No, this is um, fun. <laughs> I did have some tea too, so maybe it's tea. It's the caffeine. We're 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 both. Uh, actually, I'm not quite thirty yet. But did I, I tell you? Did I tell so. you I switched? To um, oh, what? I got rid of coffee, dude. I've been oh like, nice. This is like my second week of coffee free. So you're doing tea I've now? Just been, I've just been having uh, black tea. Fuck yeah! Like I like. Once, the, I, I think that's better for you because like it's more once water. in the morning when I get up. And then, like, maybe, like, again in the afternoon, like today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. Yeah. And, yeah, I felt good. Haven't had too many, like, headaches or anything. But I just noticed, like, when I was on coffee, like, it sounds like a drug. I mean, it kind of is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just felt like I had more anxiety. And this is, like, a, this is like a different ca- kind of caffeine. It's weird because, like, I don't know exactly, like, how it works, but coffee, like, you do, first off, become dependent on it, but you also, um, if you drink coffee all the time, you're used to it, but if you don't, suddenly drinking coffee can be, like, a problem, apparently. Um, I was talking with my cousin about this because I had a, um episode where, like, we drank um, coffee and then um uh what is the the orange juice and champagne what is that mimosas Mm -hmm. um we had like a breakfast thing and then we went on a hike and i had a point where i like my vision went out for a second it was only a little bit but like it still like freaked me out because like that hasn't happened to me before and um so i basically stayed away from coffee ever since i feel like i might have it like every now and then but like definitely not before i'm going to do something physical uh yeah it's dehydrating yeah yeah i think that's honestly what it was was that and the alcohol probably combined dehydrated me but still i'm blaming coffee but no i've just i've i've gotten i've been more productive too um so yeah it's it was a good change oh yeah and i mean and black tea is super cheap oh yeah five bucks for a hundred packets i was like okay yeah is coffee cool. like way more oh oh yeah dude i mean it. De- i guess it depends like uh, i was drinking like three to four cups a day oh wow. every day and then like if i was tired it'd be like way more <laughs> like you know it was just like yeah it was out of hand so i was like dude this is like so much better and I'm not staying up, not wired at night. I'm not like I'm sleeping a lot better. It's crazy how much different it's been in a in a positive. So well, that's good. Hey, works for me. I know Starbucks is like super expensive. I don't go to Starbucks, but yeah, I I try not to anymore. Um, I used to get it when I went to the airport, but not if eh. Sometimes I still do, but if they have another option, I usually go there. I've just been drinking Paul Newman's own tea, black tea. Nice. It says it's organic and it goes to charity. So, 
we're, we're I, I was drinking all the tea, all the uh, English breakfast tea. There you go. <laughs> all right, guys, we're gonna head back to the list now, and <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna start with uh, top two fifty. This is episode seven of the miniseries of top two fifty films, and as always, I'm joined today by Tom. Thank you for being here mm-hmm. again. And um, yeah, so you want me to start? I feel like, did you start last yeah. time? I can't remember. I, I don't remember, but you have the transition start. So. I have the transition. Um, my 100, let me pull my list up. That'd be helpful. My 100th, 100th film on my top 250. We're breaking into the top 100 now, Woo. which is crazy to believe. But this movie came out last year. It could be climbing this list eventually we'll see but i really enjoyed it uh, it's from damien chazelle this is his uh epic film and controversial or mixed reviewed film of the year from 2022 talking about babylon starring margot robbie brad pitt diego calva jane smart javon adepo and lee hoon lee and the cast is amazing. It follows 1920s Hollywood and the rise of sets, sets us right into the silent film era. And we get a behind scenes look at how much fun it was. That was really surprised the hell out of me because when you want to watch silent film this, you know, in this day, current 2023, it's like silent films are boring, man. Why would I want to watch that? But all the stuff behind the scenes seems like a lot of fun, a lot of risk, a lot of craziness. And then it goes on to like the talkie era and you're just dealing with the six characters and their struggles to adjust to the Hollywood changing and becoming what it is today. And now it's changed again, but um, it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. But I just love the way that it was shot and it doesn't feel like it, it runs three hours. It's the, the way that Demi Chazelle paced it out. It's, it's really like a ongoing train. And that's really fueled too by this amazing score. But I really enjoyed the film. That's my hundred. Yeah, could go on and on and on. There's a review on the channel. (laughs) Um, Number ninety nine, based on a true story, directed by Billy Bob Thornton, starring Billy Bob Thornton. Sling Blade. This movie is an unique film. I wasn't sure at times whether to laugh, cry, or be scared. Um, It's just it's one of those haunting films that has stuck with me, and it's a unique film. Just a powerhouse performance by Billy Bob Thornton. Number 98 is another feature film debut. This one is from Peter Bogdanovich, his first feature, The Last Picture Show. Da, da, da. Ooh, um, <laughs> so he was a critic and he decided to make a film and set in Little Town, Texas, where the economy's not so good and there's a closing movie theater, but it follows these the township, the the teenagers and the older adults uh, grippling with the changes in Texas. I just thought it was a great uh, debut. Awesome film. Love the black and white. Highly recommend the last picture show. Can't figure out the slipcase. Um, my next one, 97. We're talking about drinking his tea. Well, here he is in The Verdict, starring Paul Newman, 
directed by Sidney Lament. This is a great film, courthouse drama. Um, he uh, Paul Newman plays a washed-up attorney, and it's just a great um, courthouse movie. And I really, I, I just it's one of the, my favorite Paul Newman films. A couple other ones are coming up. Number 96, and my last one of this five, The Social Network. This movie, man, I hope I get a sequel. But this one is is one that's grown on me. I, I saw it in theaters. I liked it enough, but now it's become more relevant and more of a powerhouse. You know, I think it's one of Fincher's best films. Just a really great portrayal of, like, friends and then friendship and then going against friendship and you know, being business partners and, and just how, you know, Zuckerberg is not a likable guy. Like it's just, it's mm -hmm. such an honest portrayal here. And I'm, I'm really surprised that this movie getting got made and Aaron Sorkin wrote the script. It was amazing. So that's my first five. Nice. Tom, kick it over to you. Yeah. For your next, I, your, uh, I really enjoy the one. I really enjoy the ones that I've seen on your list for that one. So, Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited because we're getting to the ones that are like, okay, these are great films. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not throwing in my guilty pleasures as, as much. But. I mean, I kind of got to the point where I'm just like, fuck it, guilty pleasures. I'm not, I'm, I'm tossing that aside. Like, if I like the movie, I like the movie. That's true. That's so true. there's some movies that I think are campy on here, but they're intended to be campy you know like that was the point in the yeah. creation of them so like i mean they, you rewatch it too so i mean it counts yeah, for something exactly so like yeah so like I, I i i'm just like i'm not gonna like buy into that binary that like just because a movie is meant to be silly or something you know like that it's bad and that i yeah so like yeah that's a great point but, but that's that's my that's my tirade on it uh <laughs> So my number 100 is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Terry Gilliam adapts Hunter S. Thompson's drug-fueled memoir starring Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro. Wild and wacky, shocking and trippy. Just a well-done film. Yeah. Cool steelbook. I like the steelbook, yeah. Um, uh, there's nothing inside. Um, <laughs> Are you going to pick up the new 4K? I don't know. I might. I mean... It depends. It seems like it's seemingly random what I pick up. Like I kept being like, you don't need the 4K for Dead Silence, and then I got the 4K for Dead Silence. So, um... <laughs> okay, number ninety-nine, brain damage. <laughs> A young man gets an alien parasite attached to him that activates the pleasure center of his brain in order to convince him to bring him to ambush others, so the parasite Elmer can eat their brains. Quickly addicted to Elmer's goo, things get out of hand fast. Did I mention Elmer speaks English and has googly eyes? Frank Henlotter's Midnight Movie Masterpiece is a zany dark comedy drug addiction metaphor. Wow. I, like, I love this one. I just showed this one to you. So. <laughs> okay. I actually just uh, rewatched this one on Friday, so I might have more to say about it. We'll see. Um, we'll see. 98 is The Last Temptation of Christ. For me, a film that humanizes Jesus like no other. 
It also puts him within the historical context of Rome and imagines what Christ might actually have been like to know. Willem Dafoe and Harvey Cartel are excellent, or the white. And Martin Scorsese's direction invests us in the biblical world. The final moments literally took my breath away when I first saw it. Also love the score. Didn't realize that Peter Gabriel of Genesis did the score for this movie until I was rewatching it. And I was like, wow, um, <laughs> Peter Gabriel. Name. Yeah. Um, and then Harry Dean Stanton has a cameo as Paul slash Saul, which was, I, I really like that one more this time. And then uh, David Bowie's cameo as uh, Pontius Pilate is really fun. Okay. Uh, oh, damn. Okay, give me one second. I forgot one. Uh -oh. I don't know how I missed this one. The Passion of the Christ? No. It's not on here. No, literally, I uh, just put my copy of Passion of the Christ in a donation box after I saw Last Temptation because I was like, I don't need this movie. I've kind of regretted it because now I kind of like want to like show it to, to like, like Ian wanted to watch it. So like I was like, uh, I guess I shouldn't have gotten rid of it. But so quickly, because like it's not like a terrible movie, but at the same time, The Last Temptation is just way better. Okay, let me grab one. I don't know how I missed it. Okay, no worries. Okay, I'm back. Number 97 is Cinema Paradiso. And I've only seen the director's cut, so I guess I'm talking about that one. I mean, I kind of had the theatrical on in the background at one point, but I don't. I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> um, a love letter to cinema that uh, he, that follows a boy and the man he becomes, and as a famous director, he returns to his hometown and remembers the projectionist who helped him fall in love with the craft. Such a joyful, beautiful, jubilant movie. Yes. Okay, and then ninety-six. Ah! It's part of my Hitchcock collection, um, which just fell on me. And let me find the movie. Your Hitchcock is, collection that's fell on your lap. It is Vertigo. Alfred Hitchcock examines his own obsession with platinum blondes in his most personal film. Jimmy Stewart acts as a private investigator with a severe case of vertigo following Kim Novak towards doom. Dark and haunting, a beautifully made film. And yeah, so that was 96. And this is what is going to stay in the box for the next two, uh, <laughs> next two episodes. <laughs> Just a different movie. <laughs> Okay, 95 for me is, has a couple names. One is Leon, and one is The Professional. Leon, The Professional. Really enjoyed this one. Uh, it's a least recent discovery in the last couple of years, but man, Natalie Portman is just fantastic in this movie. Just a, and uh, Gene Reno, I think is his name. He's, he's amazing mm -hmm. as The Professional. It's just Really stylized film here by uh, Luke Besson. Just a fun action path, gritty. And Gary Oldman is over the top in the best way. 
94. Got to have it on here. I watch it every year, at least once. Independence Day. <laughs> 90s classic that launched Will Smith's career as Jeff, Jeff Goldblum and sitting here as well. Just a started the disaster thing that the director does, Roland Emmerich, what he his, he went on to do, all these disaster films, has never topped him in Independence Day. And Randy Quaid saves America, saves the world <laughs> as a crop duster. It's just, it's so, so crazy and, and just sci-fi fun. I, I really enjoy it. Oh, yeah. 93 is a new discovery from last year. Blind by actually, I just really discovered this film. It's about uh, what it means for two guys to be friends and share everything bank accounts, lovers. It's called Heartbreakers. These guys are best of friends. They steal each other's women. They watch each other fuck women. Or, sorry, they watch each other have sex with women. They just have a crazy time. And it's based on the director's experience in LA. Um, there's the original poster, nice. Bobby Roth. So he based it on this, basically these they're the buddy uh, art dealers and uh, womanizers, and he based it on his experience of moving to LA and becoming a director. But I just thought it was a hilarious, poignant, really honest portrayal of of friendship and relationships. That I think is still relevant today now that more people are having, you know, they're being more open about their sexuality and and, and, and sharing partners and, and what have you. That's all been going on, too, like in the 80s and even before mm -hmm. that. It's just now it's becoming a little more mainstream. And, and I think Heartbreakers is a lesser known film that was like ahead of its time. Okay. 92, another one that I recently watched and was kind of really surprised by and, and it's one that steven spielberg wanted to bury for whatever reason fandango starring kevin costner and judd nelson these guys are uh, recent college graduates they want to avoid the draft so they go on a road trip and hilarity ensues so it's a based on a uh short film by kevin reynolds this is his debut film steven spielberg saw the film said, hey, why don't you come under our wing? You're at DreamWorks or Ambulance Studio, whatever Spielberg had at the time. I'll fund it. I'll give you $7 million, Make whatever you want. And Spielberg hated the film, pulled it from the theatrical release, so it was kind of buried. But it found home at Home Video, and Warner Archive gave it this Blu-ray uh, release. And I just don't understand the reasoning, but it's, it's, a, lot of, it's a lot of fun. Uh, great soundtrack drops. You can see where they spent the budget. But it, it's, it, was, it was really one of those gems that I found in recent years. And number 91, my favorite Kubrick film, and one that people love and uh, the author didn't really care for, The Shining. Shining. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson. It's just one of those creepy performances. What can I say about this movie? This movie is just insane. Um, Kubrick directs the hell out of it with camera angles, particularly down the hallway with the steady cam, a lot of steady cam shots in this. Shelly Duvall, she's great in here as well. 
Um, I didn't quite understand her performance until later on and, and kind of see that, you know, Kubrick is essentially torching her. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's one of those movies that uh, has some amazing visuals and still holds up to today. It's, it's just a powerhouse horror movie. I would say if you're wanting to get into horror, you're curious about the genre, The Shining is kind of a good way to, to open up to the horror genre. Mm -hmm. All right, back to you. All right. Hell yeah. Okay. Um, number 95 is Casablanca, which is one of the four so movies. So close, dude. Oh, hell yeah. Um, Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Berman, and Claude Rains star in this anti-fascist classic. Bogart goes from uh, apathetic to patriot. Uh, when he decides to aid his old flame Bergman and her husband escape Nazi-occupied Casablanca. Yeah, I like that one. Um, number 94 is Blowout. Um, John Travolta stars as a movie sound effects recordist who accidentally records a political assassination. John Lithgow gives an unhinged performance. Brian De Palma's direction is great. Number 93, The Way Way Back. Uh, a lonely boy, Duncan, who feels out of place on a beach vacation with his mother's new boyfriend, finds purpose working at a water park among a group of eccentrics who become his friends. Sam Rockwell, Steve Carell, Tony Collette, and Liam James are excellent. It's a really cute movie. I like it. Number 92 is a, uh, a trilogy. It is um, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, and Skyfall. Uh, the first three Daniel Craig outings as James Bond are quite good. Four and five. Uh, these movies inspired me to explore the rest of the franchise. I love the more grounded take on Bond. Uh, Casino Royale is a fantastic intro. Eva Green is one of my favorite Bond girls. Mads Mikkelsen is intimidating. Quantum of Solace is the weakest of the three, but still a good film, bringing Bond emotional closure over Vesper. Skyfall is beautifully shot, and Javier Bardem is frightening as Silva. I will say the opening of the fourth one is pretty awesome. No, yeah, the opening yeah. is really good. The rest of the movie is not very good, but I haven't yeah. watched it since theaters, so it might not be as bad as I remember it. It's um, not good, though. It's not good. Five is, like, kind of a mixed bag. Like, I feel like it goes from, like, good scene to bad scene, and, like, the ending is weird. and It turns into Mission Impossible. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> or something turns, you know, it's... Yeah, so I mean, like, I like it. It just it doesn't feel cohesive with the others, if that makes sense. Um, so, I mean, like, I think the first three are a really good trilogy and that they go pretty well together and follow Bond through an emotional arc. I'm not sure what his emotion is supposed to be in the fourth one. He seems kind of depressed, but, like, I, I don't know. Um, he just kind of seems to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then five is like, oh, okay. Um, he has some good moments. Don't get me wrong. 
Um, I like that movie. I just don't like it as much as those first three. Um, And my number 91 is The Wolfman, 1941. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. plays the role of Lawrence Talbot, giving us an incredible pathos as he realizes he is becoming a werewolf. Uh, Love all the wood scenes. The climax is electrifying, and Claude Rains is greatest Sir John Talbot. Nice. All right, number 90, Stranger Than Fiction. Ooh. It's very well done. Basically, Emma Thompson is a writer, famous writer, and she's having trouble finishing a book, and the narrator starts talking to its main character, who turns out to be a real person. So Will Ferrell's got to figure out what is his voice in his head? And he goes to meet this literary teacher, Dustin Hoffman. And he also play. He also is a very boring tax collector working for the IRS. And his life is very dull. Just love this movie. Leaves me with a smile. Thought it was very clever the way that it's done. And a tribute to really writers and novels and creatives. I think I just, yeah. I just really, really enjoy it. I think that movie is kind of funny because they insist it's set in New York, but they really filmed it in Chicago. Chicago so like yeah. people have like Chicago tribunes and stuff like, <laughs> yeah. Cause I have been on that like main road too. Yeah. Bus, buses we, where uh, Harold Crick is picked up and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's always fun to see like Chicago is always like Detroit or it's New York or it's, in Transformers case, it's China. So, <laughs> but you can see the Willis Tower in the background on one of the shots in Transformers, which are supposed to be in China. So I was like, you guys have like 300 million in this movie. You can't even like wipe that go out. To China, or something, or, just, just go like, to China. I mean, yeah. like, seriously. Oh, Chinatown. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Go on. But number 89, it's a movie that I've watched so much the Blu-ray stopped working. I'm just kidding, but I've watched it a lot. There Will Be Blood. Mm. Paul Thomas Anderson's classic. I think it's his best film. Everything comes together in this film. Deion Day-Lewis is just a monster. And it's really about the oil tycoons. Just a, a gripping drama. And Paul Dano is also great. Number 88, the original King Kong. This is one that my grandpa showed me when I was a kid, and I've always loved it. Um, there we go. I don't know. This yeah. thing doesn't even look like the ape. It kind of does. No, yeah, that's not a... I don't like that cover. Yeah. This is the original poster. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the stop motion. It's it, you know, it's kind of a gimmicky now. It's kind of a, of its time, but really enjoy this one still for nostalgia, and, and, and I think it's still the best portrayal of the King Kong uh, story. Mm-hmm. 87, The Departed. Martin Scorsese's uh, movie that he finally got the best director Oscar for. Just a great movie about a undercover cop and cop corruption. Nicholson plays uh, out of his mind gangster and, you know, it's just Big ensemble cast set in Boston. Just love the movie. The more I watch it, just really well done. 
so glad it was an adaptation of a of another film i think it was like internal affairs mm -hmm. and just really think it's one of scorsese's best next one in 86 is django unchained the uh, tarantino uh western slavery epic um didn't really like this movie when i saw it in theaters and i just thought it was kind of an awkward watch maybe because i took my grandma but it was <laughs> <laughs> it was one I just for whatever reason she loves Tarantino but uh for whatever yeah. reason you know it wasn't in Glorious Bastards and I don't know but the I've grown to love it grown to really enjoy it I see you know all the motivations for the characters and what Tarantino was going for like no this is the most evilest person alive candy uh, Candy, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is just one of the most evilest characters ever made on cinema. And that's the point. Um, I think he really captures, you know, the brutality and the gross reality of slavery. And then there's the revenge story in here as well, and the romance, um, the Django. So it's sort of a remake too, I guess, because there's kind of a nod to, hey, the original Django's, but this, they're not really related. And Frank Nero, who played the original Django, is in this. Um, but yeah, man, I just really enjoy it. I think it's one of the better Westerns to come out in the last 20 years. Not that there's many anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, back to you. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, my number 90 is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> I didn't know Arrow had a release. That's awesome. They do. Yeah. Um, I just really wanted to get it because I, I like the I like the cover. Yeah. I really just wanted it. Um, alien clowns are invading a small town. Pure 1980s camp. A spot on spoof of the film The Blob. Love the look and feel of everything. Just hilarious. They wrap up people in cotton candy um, and shoot popcorn guns. <laughs> I still haven't seen it yet. I know you sent me a copy. Yeah, that was why I gave it to you because I got the arrow. So, Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, number 89, It's a Wonderful Life. Frank Capra directs Jimmy Stewart in a pure movie about a life lived for others, the power of love, and what a difference one man can make. There's a ton of iconic moments in this movie. Uh, the romance between Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed is really, like, special. Um, the, the frame narrative of an angel having to learn about a guy's life in order to save him from committing suicide is really an interesting choice and kind of bold for the 40s. Um, that that they're tackling suicide, not the like Christian elements. <laughs> right. <laughs> Obviously, it's the forties. Christianity in America is a thing. Um, <laughs> all right, number eighty-eight is Saw. <laughs> Uh, James Wan and Lee Wannell's first film, a classic two thousands thriller about a serial killer who makes his victims solve puzzles to save their lives or die trying a tight a tight tight twisty thriller uh truly truly iconic uh yeah i love the the um the puppet and uh the like pig mask uh carrie Elwes and danny glover are great in here um 
like the first the original film was a really good movie the sequels uh kind of dilute that to me like i think they become way more about gore than anything else um but but this one actually like is pretty smart and well written um the ending twist is debatably kind of dumb but like I, it was really shocking the first time so and i still kind of love it i don't care it's it's, pretty, it's very campy <laughs> <laughs> Okay, gotta find the next part. I did I did these entries like across multiple days, so across Sometimes the universe. <laughs> okay. Number eighty-seven is seven. <laughs> Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman search for a killer, patterning his murders on the seven deadly sins, disturbing and bleak. David Fincher's direction is top notch. And Kevin Spacey is really creepy too. I mean it's in the box. Yeah. Uh, when when his shit came out, I was kind of like, uh, maybe it enhances seven. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it ruins all of his other movies. <laughs> oh yeah, American uh, Beauty. I can't. Oh <laughs> uh, well, that one I couldn't even watch before. Yeah. I knew about that. Yeah, and I was cool. like, oh yeah, I'm never watching it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> number eighty six is the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy, and I put these in the wrong order. Uh, Curse of the Black Pearl, Dead Man's Chest, and At World's End. Uh, Gore Verbinski brings us a trilogy of adventure fantasy films based on the Disney ride. It should not work, but it does. The Curse of the Black Pearl is, is basically perfect. Dead Man's Chest is dazzling. At World's End is a flawed finale, but is better than you probably remember. Johnny Depp's Captain Jack Sparrow is an icon of the era. And they would continue on. I think they made two more. They did make two more. I don't count those because they weren't made by Gorbabinski, and also they're just not very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, true. Uh, to my mind, like the original trilogy, they actually kind of planned it out. Um, I mean, maybe they didn't have the plan for two and three in that one, but it does grow out of the ending of one um, pretty beautifully, and it's the same team behind the scenes. Um, and I think three is the perfect ending for the franchise. They they didn't need four and five. Well, okay. There's some stuff in there where I'm like, okay, you probably could have trimmed this and like made this like a better, like a more a more sleek film. Um, I have some issues with it. Like it's definitely not a perfect film, but going back and watching it in comparison to four and five for me, I'm like, okay, yeah, actually, it's a much better film than. I think it was that I thought it was at the time. Um, and it, it wraps up the Davy Jones uh, art mm -hmm. really well. That being said, I think my main criticism of it is the um, handling of, um, of Elizabeth Swan. Um, mm -hmm. Earlier in the movie, she literally becomes the king of the pirates. And then at the end of the movie, she is barefoot and pregnant to be left on land for a decade at a time without seeing her husband. When they bent over backwards to have Davy Jones be on land, the entire franchise, like, why the hell can't she just get on a ship and he just comes and visits once a week? I mean, like, seriously, that you could have, you had so many options that you could have done instead of leaving her alone with no family on a, uh, like on land, you know, <laughs> I don't know. That's just me though. I, I, I just felt that that was kind of, 
kind of an egregious change. <laughs> I just felt highly disappointed with the sequels. I just love the original. No, that's fair. Um, I I really enjoyed two. Three grew on me, and now I will watch all three of them together as a single marathon. Um, oh, there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. So back to you. Okay, back to me. You had uh, Casablanca at 95, right? I think so. Let me check. I got it at 85. Oh, fuck yeah. So close. Close to overlapping. Yeah, you're right. So 10 off. Not bad. Another film that grew on me. Um, just really uh, felt really... Didn't really like it. And then I watched it a couple more times through the years and really can relate to Bogart's like depression at the bar at times and just, you know, regrets and all that. So it's a nice little redemption for him too, I think on some level and everything that you said was, was right on. It's just, you know, it's a considered a classic and there's so many great uh, lines, classic lines, you know, so it's just one of those films that it's kind of a no brainer for a list. Yeah. I would agree though with you. Like it took me like two or three viewings before I really liked it. The first time I was like, yeah, the first time I watched it, I was like, this is it. Like this is such a highly regarded movie. This is it. And then the second time I was like, actually not bad. And then the third time I was like, actually, I really like this movie now. And then like, it's only gotten better every time I've watched it. It is strange how that works. Yeah. All right. 84. One I liked right away. The big sick. Um, basically, uh, what's his name? Camille, uh, yeah, Camille, I can't pronounce his last name, but he, uh, Camille is is great in this. Zoe Kazan plays his girlfriend. She becomes sick and goes into a coma, like right after they had just broken up, and he is forced to really get to know. He, he doesn't want to leave her and he decides that to get to know the parents and stuff like that. But what I really like about this film is it doesn't play the typical rom-com thing where she wakes up from a coma and automatically forgives him. She is like, no, I don't want to be with you anymore. Like we're done. I broke up with you and I still remember you as an asshole because he's done all these great things for like the past hour with his family and made up for in his mind what his what he did to her but it's just I like that twist where she wakes up and she's like no I I can't nothing to do with you so it's 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 pretty good movie pretty well done uh comedy here and and it's also a really interesting uh Pakistan the way that they live and and it has some commentary on you know the whole pre predetermined marriage predetermined bride type thing you know the family picks up the bride for you and he wanted to marry you know a white woman so it's it's kind of that deal and that's why he broke up with her and she goes into a coma and stuff like that but i'd recommend the big sick if you're looking for like one of those clever rom-coms with with a little intelligence i really enjoyed it and uh, number 83 is the original from Wes Craven, Scream. And I don't think it's ever going to top or ever going to top this movie because I think you pointed out to me marketing 
from the nineties. And I don't, I don't know. I don't remember um, what the marketing was like, but I think they were all marketing, you know, Drew Barrymore on the cover of posters. So everybody thought Drew Barrymore was going to be like this big part of the movie. And, sh and she's in a big part in the beginning, but it, the choice to do what they do to her character in the beginning is just, I thought it was just ballsy, man. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to this meta horror comedy, some great kills, and just really started it all with the ghost face becoming one of the iconic horror icons. She was actually going to be uh, Sydney, but then she got another movie, so she, oh, was really? gonna, she wasn't going to be able to do it. And so Wes Craven was like, well, what if you were Casey instead? So you'll be on set for like a week. And she was oh, like, yeah, I can do that. That's smart. Gosh, a week to shoot that? That sounds amazing. Uh, I mean, I don't actually know. I don't actually know how long it was. I know, um, but I mean, it just sounds right. It's just yeah. like, you know, take I mean, the time and shoot that sequence. Like, wow, okay. I, so um, I there was um, two documentaries that I got with uh, my initial Scream trilogy set. And um, one of them was talking about like that early, the opening sequence. And um Apparently, like Harvey Weinstein was going to shut down the movie, like he had kind of lost faith in it. And then uh, Wes Craven like hurriedly cut together the first twelve minutes of the movie, which is the opening scene, and screened that for him. And he was like, "Okay, you can keep going." <laughs> wow. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like you do have to remember, fucking Harvey Weinstein is very much involved in that movie, and that kind of taints it. But um, but still, like that was just a fun story that like the first 12 minutes save the movie like from yeah. for, to, for, to make it to even be made yeah that's a great it's a classic though oh yeah number Sorry, 82 is uh Guillermo del toro the shape of water it was a fantastic fantasy uh interesting monster movie <laughs> um it's just a, a nice twist on like the whole treat the creature to black lagoon thing what if the woman fell in love with the creature and and there's a romance, a lot of commentary on uh, just a lot of a lot of different themes that Gilmore Del Toro weaves in here, as far as you know, sexism, and there's the whole like political war thing going on. And Michael Shannon is just perfect type for this uh, villain for this movie. He seems like he's one of those Edward G. Robinson type actors in this. He just plays a great uh, throwback villain. Mm -hmm. really loved all the cast and it's just a magical movie that I can watch countless times cool creature effects too oh yeah number 81 um, I had a clever thing to say about this but I, I don't know if I can say it but it's Mad Rax Fury Road um, I really enjoy this movie and it shouldn't work all the trailers indicated that it wouldn't work and why are they making this movie? Then I went and saw it. And I realized why. Because it is a badass film. Fueled by an awesome score. It's basically a high-speed chase movie that doesn't let up. It's actually an insane film that it even got nominated for like Best Picture and mm -hmm. all these other. It's just it's total metal. And Tom Hardy and Charlie's Throne are just amazing in this. And I heard it didn't like each other on the shoot. So I think it, that, that obviously uh, might have helped. But it's just uh, insane what George Miller did 
with this with this franchise and sort of reinventing it and giving it its best entry, in my opinion. Of oh yeah, next year road. So, all right, that that's my eighty-one. So we're back to you, Tom. Yeah. Um, my number eighty-five is V for Vendetta. Uh, Hugo Weaving plays the vigilante known as V. Natalie Portman gradually becomes his assistant in destroying the House of Parliament, a symbol of oppression in a future fascist Britain. Stylish, exciting, with deep themes for a 2000s action movie based on the Alan Moore graphic novel. This is also my favorite Alan Moore adaptation to film. Um, The Watchmen series is probably number two. Um, but they tend to do a pretty poor job when they're adapting Alan Moore for the screen. So, um, number 84 is Call Me By Your Name. Uh, Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer develop a gay romance in 80s Italy. Subtle and heartwarming and heartrending and sexy. A well done film. Number 83 is Videodrome, uh, David Cronenberg's exploration of the descent of a pornographer, James Woods, searching for a rare video of torture. Dark, disturbing, the body horror effects still hold up incredibly well. The scene where he pulls the gun out of his chest. Ugh. Yeah, that's crazy. And he pulled it off. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number 82 is Blade of the Immortal. Uh, a samurai cursed with immortality is hired by a little girl to kill those responsible for the death of her family. Basically a samurai true grit, but super intense with crazy action scenes. The hundredth film from director Takashi Miike. Wow. hundred films. Oh yeah. He's, he's insane. He makes like three or four movies a year. It's like Ridley Scott, but on crack. <laughs> it's insane. And I'm just like, I don't even know how you do that. Like, but good for you, I guess. <laughs> but he's done that for like decades now, like doing like three or four films. So yeah, that was his hundredth feature. <laughs> okay, number eighty-one is uh, the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Two Ray, Ray Harryhausen classics, following Sinbad the Sailor from the Arabian Nights. Harryhausen pioneered stop-motion animation as special effects monsters in live-action movies. These films have a dragon, a cyclops, a skeleton, a ship's figurehead, a statue of Kali, a centaur, and a crazy half-snake lady, among other monsters that Harryhausen created. He would be a major inspiration to directors like Tim Burton. So I love I love these. I actually like went back and forth between having one of the two Sinbad movies on here, and then I was like, I really can't decide. He actually made three Sinbad movies, but the third one's okay. Is that a box uh, set? Yeah, this is a box set. It has uh, seven of his movies in here. Um, so, but yeah, my two favorites from him are the Seventh Voyage and Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Um, a lot of people really like Jason the Argonauts too. Um, I, I like I like most of his movies, um, but the reason I didn't go with Jason and the Argonauts is like it's a little more serious than the other ones, and like I don't know, Seventh Voyage and Golden Voyage are like really campy and fun, so. Awesome. There, there's a scene in the Seventh Voyage where, like, this magician turns a lady. They put a lady and a snake in a basket, and then he goes like magic, and then she comes out and she's a Ray Harryhausen half snake, half lady monstrosity, and then they play music and she dances, and that's like three minutes of her like dancing. 
um, <laughs> to a Bernard Herman score, and it is just like you literally are just like the first time you watch it, you're just kind of like, what? Okay, and like that's why the audience reacts in the movies. <laughs> And now I kind of watch for other people's reactions who haven't seen it because I don't know how you're gonna react to the snake lady. <laughs> okay, um, so that was eighty-one. So yeah, I'm good. All right, number eighty. Tom Cruise is the Last Samurai. This is a movie that I had to convince the uh, person working in the ticket booth to let me in, and um, really enjoyed uh, this film. Ken Wannabe is great in here as part of the Samurai crew and just a uh, adventure, you know, kind of a understanding of different culture movie. It's, it's a war movie. I think it's, it's I, mean, I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I think it probably still holds up, I, I have to say. And um, just really enjoy. I think it's one of Tom Cruise's best films. 79, Elliot Gould. In, yeah, Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. He plays uh, Philip Marlowe. And this movie is a mystery movie, trying to, a crime film, whodunit type thing. And it's a, it's a slow burn, like a lot of Altman films are. They have the unique Altman flavor to it. But it leads up to this, like, one of the greatest endings I've ever seen in the film. And I don't know why, but it, I just really, it was so satisfying the way this movie ends. I was like, I have to, I, now I love this movie. So I didn't really care for it when I first saw it as, as, a, as a familiar theme to this list. But when I watched The Long Goodbye on this Kino Blu-ray restoration, I was just like, dude, I want to do that in the film someday. <laughs> like, this is crazy, <laughs> like crazy ending. I just love it. Number 78. Classic film, Harold Ramis directs Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. This movie has inspired many films to copy its same-day style. They're stuck in the same-day style. That's a sweet romantic comedy that I, I do watch every year. Mm -hmm. Number 77 is The Godfather Part 2. Coppola's epic uh in the godfather universe that i just the, the the idea of having de niro play the young Vito corleone and having that storyline really enhances where anthony is at this point and his path of going down darker and becoming you know the uh, cruelest dawn of them all that's just a an amazing film And 76, last one of the week for me, is Fast Times at Ridgemont High, directed by Amy Heckerling. This movie is hilarious. It has an awesome soundtrack, written by Cameron Crowe as well. And what really is, is relevant is it, is, it, it tackles abortion. And that part of the movie kind of surprised me for us slapstick and as hilarious this movie is it tackles some real themes and i think that's why this movie is a comedy classic that's it for me
Well, let's see yeah. what you have, Tom. Okay. All right. Um, my number 80 is Walkabout. Uh, two British children lost in the Australian outback after their father's suicide meet a young Aboriginal boy on his walkabout and become fast friends. Nicholas Rogue's film is a beautiful me- meditation on life in nature and in Western civilization. The final moments of the film. Um, I guess I'll just spoil it because I want to talk about it. But like they eventually return to to uh, like Western society. And um, in the final moments of the film, the girl is thinking back to just swimming with her brother and the, the Aboriginal boy in the wild. And they don't say anything, but it's clear that she's wondering if she made the right choice all those years ago to come back and not to stay out there. Mm-hmm. And it really makes me think about the like taming of the savage within us all. Like, like the, um, like leaving the wild and entering civilization. Is that the right choice or not? And in some ways, yes. And in other ways, no, um, there's, there's never really a clear cut answer to my mm-hmm. mind. Um, but yeah, so really excellent film. Um, number 79. Number 79 is Bad Times at the El Royale. Drew Goddard's second film finds an all-star cast at a mysterious hotel on the California-Nevada border. The film just gets crazier and crazier as it goes, an underrated thriller. Uh, They're all fighting over a hidden treasure trove of stolen gangster loot. Um, It's (laughs) very, very fun movie. Um, Everybody does a really good job. Um, it, it's funny too because like you almost think that like some of them are going to be main characters because they're you know stars mm-hmm. and then they're just not like one of them I won't say which just straight up gets shot in like the first 20 minutes and just isn't in the rest of the movie um, and then Chris Hemsworth doesn't even come in until the last like 10 minutes yeah or 20 minutes whatever um, but yeah um, number 78 is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's love letter to 60s Hollywood follows Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie in the months leading up to the attack from the Manson family. Funny, endearing, very well done. Um, I love that. The, the, uh, the oh, dog. Yeah, this is great still. I love, that. I, I love, I love that. Um, it's a very um, quiet film for Tarantino until the last few minutes. Um and I, I love the restraint that he showed with it. Um, and I love his portrayal of the Manson family. That was really interesting because they're, they're very, they're very infamous and he kind of does it very low key. I feel. But still you have a little bit of the Texas chainsaw on there too, I think. Oh, for sure. Okay. So number 57 is the talented Mr. Ripley. Matt Damon stars as Thomas Ripley, a con man who takes over the life of a man he lusted after and then killed. Based on the novel by Patricia Highsmith, an all-star cast, tragic, intense. Uh, this was also written in the 50s. So, like, it's... Uh, I tried to read the book, and it do- I didn't notice so much of the queer subtext, but, like, maybe you do notice it if you read it, like, more carefully. Um, 
I, I think Patricia Highsmith was was a lesbian. I'm not 100%, but uh, her novel, The Price of Salt, became uh, Carol, which she wrote under oh, a pseudonym. Yeah. So I can't imagine a straight woman writing that novel in the 50s. Um, just, you know, it just it was a really dangerous novel to write, even under a pseudonym. Um, but anyway, I really love this one. Uh, like, you have, like, 50s Rome. Um, the cast is great. Um, Anthony uh, Minghel's direction is really good. Um, it's a really fun movie. It, it surprised me. I, I just happened to click on it on Netflix. I had no expectations, and I loved it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then number 76 is The Thing, 1982. Uh, John Carpenter's remake of the 50s film finds Kurt Russell and a team of scientists in the Arctic under attack from a shape-shifting alien. Incredible special effects, a downrending, incredible tension. Just really well done. Love it is. Movie. Yeah. So I love the steelbook, too. So good. That's a nice steelbook. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's, that's it for me. So. And that's it for me. And that's it for the show. So this has been episode seven of the top 250. So happy you guys joined us and leave the comments below on your thoughts of the films we present today or anything else. And stay tuned for episode eight next week. We'll be back. And as always, peace out. Peace out. For more Return of the Disc, visit returnofthedisc.com. Check out the audio version of today's show, available on all major podcast platforms. And be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel.